Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, today, Dressed listeners, I have to say, April, I think you'll agree with me and marks a very special fashion history now because not only are we happy to help promote Vogue's new podcast, In Vogue, the 1990s, which launches today, September 17th. Today. But we are also (laughs) joined by the podcast esteemed host who perhaps needs no introduction, but we are being joined by Hamish Bowles, who just happened to have a front row seat at some of the most seminal fashion history moments of the 1990s that this new podcast takes as its subject. Fashion historian, couture collector, museum curator, Vogue editor-in-large, Hamish can now add podcast host (laughs) to his already very impressive resume. And it goes without saying that it is such an honor to have him with us here today. Hamish, such a warm welcome for joining us on Dressed. Well, thank you for having me. You know, it's perhaps easy to reduce 1990s fashion to tropes. I mean, you have supermodels, you have grunge anti-fashion, turned fashion, uh, my personal favorite, Clueless, uh, the film. But there's so many other forces and influence at work. So much so that yourself and Vogue have dedicated an entire podcast to exploring them. Can you please tell us more about this new venture? You know, this podcast has been so kind of amazing for me because this idea of really focusing on a decade. I mean, I remember very, very clearly about 10 years ago, going to a real hipster curated vintage store on the Lower East Side and looking at something. And the store manager said, yes, you know, that's that's 90s in this kind of reverent tone. And, you know, that was 2010. I was thinking, my God, the 90s is already like, <laughs> that's already a, de- a decade that, that someone would, would identify. What does the 90s even mean? So, you know, it's been very, very interesting for several seasons now, you know, when so many designers, pan-generational designers, designers who lived through the 90s, who've been there and done that, and very young designers who were born in the 90s and sometimes not even born in the 90s um, have 90s inspirations on their on their boards and they'll you know they'll say you know i'm thinking 90s and and so it's really made me think what was that decade for me and what can you take away from it and why was it this kind of moment of such tremendous change on so many levels i mean you know technology music the way we communicated with one another, the way fashion was communicated, quite apart from the seismic changes that were happening in clothing itself. You know, I have a particular and enduring 
fondness for the 80s for so many reasons, because, you know, that was the, the decade that I really kind of came out and blossomed into the world of fashion at a level where I could kind of have a, a voice that could reflect it. And I don't know if I would be pretentious enough to say impact it, but, you know, certainly hold a mirror up to it and write about it and celebrate it. You know, I really loved so many of the designers who emerged in that decade or kind of came into their own in that decade from Mugler and Montana and Azadine and Ray Kawakubo and Yoji, Rifat Osbeck, Romeo Gili, uh, Christian Lacroix, of course. And so I have, I, in my collection, I have a huge amount of clothing from that era, some of it belonging to some of those shiny set women who I so revered at the time, like, you know, Gayfred Steinberg or Susan Goodfriend, um, Ivana Trump. So those clothes have kind of double resonance that they were iconic pieces and then they were worn by these women who really represented that era. And so for me, I was so immersed in that kind of Lacroix world of decoration and embellishment and everyone with earrings and hats and gloves and maybe a muff and incredible uh, bobbin heel shoes and so on. And when fashion did a total pivot and I was going to Margiela's showroom and seeing these kind of ghostly figures in their white coats and these kind of inexplicable clothes. And I was like, what is going on? And then sitting through Mark Jacobs' grunge-inspired show for Perry Ellis, which was just at the very beginning of my life in New York. So, you know, my coming to Vogue in 92 kind of really coincided with the birth of what we would think of as the 90s in terms of a decade suddenly forming an identity that's all about Courtney Love in a knackered, beaten up vintage 1930s lingerie dress and a crooked tiara and, you know, mascara rubbed eyes and the Amanda de Cadenet, that kind of iconic image, Nirvana and the idea of a, a kind of very heterosexual lead singer wearing a dress and totally pulling it off. And the emergence of Helmut Lang and this kind of revolutionary way of actually showing clothes, you know, because you're coming out of the 80s when the fabulous runway girls like Marpessa and Yasmin Gauri are twirling and twisting and Dalma and they're unbuttoning the coats so you can see the blouse or the dress underneath and they're twirling so that everyone in the audience can see the outfit 360 degrees to a Helmut Lang presentation where these the girls and boys are coming out like bullets from kind of all directions and they're in these kind of extraordinary clothes with kind of jeans and sneakers and like a little t-shirt and it's nothing but it's everything you know <laughs> and I, I mean it's it was sort of electrifying and you you know it was it was another fashion show it was another point of view I wasn't really thinking wow we're in the 90s everything has changed <laughs> but of course looking back everything had changed and you know the exciting thing with this podcast has been being able to kind of explore these sort of moments and our amazing producers and researchers will sort of say, do you know anything about this Gianni Versace show that featured all the supermodels? And they came out to George Michael's Freedom 90 soundtrack 
and having just been in the the video for the single. And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> I certainly know about it because guess what? I was there. And yes, I was, of course, I was there at Mark Jacobs' grunge collection. And I remember precisely how it made me feel, you know. So, of course, I feel absolutely Neanderthal because you have these faces at the other end of a Zoom call, just completely speechless that you, <laughs> that you were, you know, you were there for the grunge show and, you know, daguerreotypes and whatever, whatever else belongs to ancient history. Oh, no, I was, I was in high school and college in the 90s. So it's, okay, a, good. it's, a, Marvelous. It, it's, it's, it's near and dear to my heart too. And I still look at that stuff today and I'm like, you know what? It still holds up. That's the reason why everyone is so obsessed with it now. I think that's, you know, so, so interesting because, yeah, I mean, you kind of look at Mark's grunge collection and you look at kind of a little bias cut 30s inspired dress with maybe a sprig print of lemons or cherries or whatever it was and worn with a little shrunken cardigan and maybe a, a kind of borrowed boy's accessory. And there kind of hasn't really been a time between then and now where you couldn't kind of wear that. and. It not be a convincing look, you know, through everything that we've kind of gone through. And I think it was, you know, certainly the first decade that people really started rummaging in the idea of vintage inspiration. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has endured for, you know, 30 years as a, as a process for designers. I mean, I'm not saying that that, what, that didn't exist in the 80s and 70s too, when everyone was looking at Barbara Hulaniki at Bieber was looking at the glamour of Hollywood movies. Of course, it's an existing, those, those potent things that kind of trigger you are enduring things. But I think the kind of process was really sort of established of jumbling up vintage references was established. And, and the idea of the purity and kind of pared down simplicity of a helmet Lang and how, you know, astounding. I mean, you look at Kirsten Owen or Estella Tennant in those shows, and they just look so amazing. I mean, they just look so amazing with their kind of scrubbed away makeup. And and then you look at the way Calvin Klein, for instance, sort of co-opted that idea, but made it something that was uniquely kind of American, and that's very powerful too. And then you look at the the whole concept of brand building, and you look at someone, you know an incredible, unique protein force like Karl Lagerfeld, you know, who we're dedicating a, 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 an episode to, and the idea of, you know, Karl, who went to Chanel at the beginning of the 80s when it really was a moribund brand, you know, it was making dowdy bourgeois clothes, and he understood how to take brand pillars and marry them to everything that was timely and hip and happening, whether it was Memphis or nostalgia for the 30s or hip hop or whatever it was. And I think that, you know, he kind of led the way for brands to think about, for other brands to think about shaking up storied houses. And, you know, suddenly you had Galliano at Dior and you had the Enfant Terrible of um, Alexander McQueen at Givenchy and Tom Ford at Gucci. And then you had the idea of a brand like Gucci buying other brands that the creative director felt believed in. So I think the 90s, so much happened, so many 
barriers were broken. And as I say, the way we were able to consume fashion changed totally because you suddenly had fashion on TV and you had fashion on MTV and you you were just exposed to the designers who were making fashion. You were exposed to the actresses and the music stars who were consuming it and shaping it and in in many ways also informing it from, you know, from grunge to hip hop or whatever it was. So I think so much happened. And I mean, you know, the deeper I get into the podcast, the more I realize what what an era, what a period of seismic change it was and how it just has stayed with us. I spoke to one designer and I asked, I've been asking most of the people I've been interacting with, you know, when did the 90s end for you? And this designer said, the 90s never ended for me. <laughs> you know, they, they inform everything. That's a decade that informs everything I do. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm-hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For limited time dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. We just did an interview with Amona May, who's the costume designer of Clueless, which celebrated its 25th year today, which is insane. Absolutely. I mean, she's like having like a renewed, I mean, she's still in a very much an active costume designer, but this like, pub, she's become this public entity now because of how much people still to this day, 25 years later, connect to that film and that period. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, so much coming out of the 90s that I think so many of us still experience today, participate in and dress in. Like you said, so many designers are still bringing it to the runway these last couple of years. Yes. It's also, you know, it's also a decade that saw the real emergence of the red carpet and the idea of actresses of substantive talent very gladly embracing the world of fashion. I mean, you think of people like Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Blanchett and Nicole Kidman. And before that, there was kind of a there was a negativity attached to the embrace of fashion. It was there was this perception that you could you wouldn't be taken seriously as an as an actor if you embraced fashion, and and that just totally transformed. And you know, then suddenly you had Joan Rivers opining, and you know, people then became you know, then everyone became so paranoid about being considered poorly or thoughtlessly dressed or whatever. So. I think the 90s was absolutely the beginning of the red carpet in that way and the the uh, you know the power of influencers really 
and how, you know, potent and seductive. And you had someone like Vera Wang, for instance, whose whole kind of strategy to establish her brand was to dress actors like Sharon Stone and not to do advertising. And, you know, that was so that kind of speaks to the kind of global reach of the red carpet. And and that really kind of began then. So it's it's a multi-layered decade where so much is happening that, you know, now one completely takes for granted. But when I was a fashion student in the early 80s, there was no fashion information. If you hadn't managed to get into the show, there were a couple of black and white images, if you were lucky, in a newspaper the day after, and then Vogue three or four months later. And the only way you could really get serious, substantive fashion information was through a magazine called, I think, I Collezioni, an Italian magazine that was kind of as thick as uh, an old-fashioned telephone directory. I know that <laughs> that's not a very 2020 reference, but, you know, a, a massive coffee table book that had page by page of dedicated to an individual designer and these little kind of thumbnail runway pictures as though you printed out Vogue runway. And that was the only way you could see some of these kind of less prominent or emerging designers that wouldn't be covered in the magazines or newspapers. And it was the only way you could get fashion information. And, you know, that's coming out four months after the runway shows. And there's one dog-eared copy in the St. Martin's Library that everyone is like kind of, you know, lining, queuing up to look at. Um, (laughs) And so the idea of the accessibility of fashion and dedicated shows, and suddenly you've got Elsa Clench and Tim Blanks um, doing their amazing TV shows and going backstage and interviewing the, the supermodels, and they become a, a big thing. And fashion is suddenly taken seriously, and it's kind of available. I think the moment that the global public start to see how kind of exciting and glamorous and thrilling this is, everyone wants in, and fashion suddenly becomes a very different phenomenon than it was even in the 80s. Yeah. And and one could argue um, largely in part in thanks to the internet. Of course. Yeah, it's, the, it's very early days of the internet. And I got my first cell phone after 9-11. So, you know, I didn't, there was no way to reach me in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, if Anna was trying to get hold of me and I was in the subterranean depths of Druo, the Paris auction house, turning a potential V&A dress inside out. <laughs> she was going to have to wait for me to get back to the office. But yes, there were uh, alternative means of communication that people were experimenting with. But of course, yes, technology is beginning to kind of transform the way we consume information and disseminate it and communicate it. Uh, well, we can't wait to listen. <laughs> yes, in such a seminal decade and dress listeners, this podcast dropped today. So you can check out the very first episode on, I'm assuming, iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts, Hamish? Absolutely, wherever you get your podcasts. And please forgive me, I sound like the Queen Mother, but <laughs> I'm going to squirm my way through it. But <laughs> I hope it's, I hope it's uh, people will find it engaging and intriguing and kind of informational. 
And you're going to have like surprise guests, right? And interviews. It's, it's, there, there's a lot to look forward to and expect. People that worked, I'm assuming, in the 1990s. Is, is there any like little hints you can give our listeners as to what to expect for this upcoming season? You know, it's been so thrilling to me, actually, to be able to talk to people like Mark Jacobs, Calvin Klein, who really, you know, shaped the decades in so many ways. But we're also looking at the great fashion editors who shaped the great fashion shoots, the great Vogue editors. We're talking to Karl Lagerfeld's muses and his right-hand man at the time, and the photographers who created the seminal photographs and images. So it's very, very layered. And, you know, we're talking to the models and all their experiences. And of course, just to have, I, I mean, for me, you know, I kind of lived through it, but of course I lived through it through my lens. And what's been so revelatory for me is to talk to someone like Calvin and to talk to someone like Mark and to talk to someone like Amanda Harlick and to get their insider perspective and to understand their process and the backstories and how they arrived at these moments that we're identifying as the key signifiers of the decade and and the creating the runway moments and the images and the videos and the ephemeral moments that we look at and that shape that period and make it so enduringly fascinating and immortal, undying. Absolutely. Hamish, you have been exceptionally generous with your time (laughs) today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Uh, We don't want to interrupt your, I'm sure, jam-packed day any further. But thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't wait to listen. Our listeners can't wait to listen. Thank you so much, Hamish. Thank you both so much for having me. Well, Cass, that was um, beyond treat. And (laughs) I know that I will certainly be tuning in for his trip down memory lane. I have plenty of 1990s fashion memories myself as I was in high school and I was also in college at that same time. I mean, let's say fake pleather snakeskin pants with a crop top and a choker. Um, (laughs) Some like very kind of 60s inspired miniskirts, so short that I can't believe I actually wore them. You know, good solid 90s fashion. Oh, and platform shoes. I still love platform shoes there though. So I'm not giving those up anytime soon. What about you? Any favorite 90s fashion moments? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I now that you said shoes, like I loved my jellies. I still love my jellies. Like if anybody has jellies, I will totally wear them. Oh, yes. But that was more 80s than 90s. Oh my gosh. I had jellies that I loved in the 90s, but <laughs> um, maybe it was a byproduct. <laughs> um, 1990s specifically, let's see. I know for many a young boy like my husband, the 90s was the era of the supermodel. I mean, he still talks about the 1990s supermodels. Um, <laughs> the only poster I had in my room was of Tyson Beckford because he was such a dreamboat. Or still is. Oh my gosh, yes. yes. <laughs> and um, I think our, our, our listeners already know that Clueless had a beyond profound effect on me in the 1990s and arguably to this very day. But April, will Clueless make it into In Vogue the 1990s? Only one way to find out. We have to tune in. 
That's right, Elsa. I'm sure that you enjoyed our conversation with Hamis, dress listeners. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did because we had a blast. And let's just say <laughs> that our conversation shall not end here because it's going to be a two-parter. We actually talked for a very long time. Um, and there's <laughs> no way that we could let Hamish go without talking about lots of other things about fashion history and his incredible couture collection. So stay tuned for an upcoming episode where we detail those topics. Well, that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider the legacy of the 1990s in your closet next time you get dressed. Remember to tune in this Tuesday for our full-length episode. And we love hearing from you. So if you'd like to email us, please do so at dressed at iheartmedia.com. You can, of course, always direct message us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, where you will find images accompanying each week's episode. As always, a very special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes the show possible each and every week. We will catch you on Tuesday. Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.